I'm so thankful for uh, Pastor Gage, who I, I feel like not only led us in a time of worship, but I, if, if you were listening with your hearts, I feel like there were some things that he taught us today. Would you agree with that? There, there are certain situations in our lives that are going to overcome us unless we utilize this powerful weapon and this privilege that we have called praise. Would you agree with that? What do you mean by that, Pastor Ryan? Sometimes when we, we make decisions that kind of lead us into a place where we feel unworthy to praise God, or we feel like our circumstances surround us to the point where we don't feel like we have the energy to praise God, and we feel like our, our circumstance and our situations affects our praise. Well, the scriptures teach, and this is the cool thing about God, is that when we have the power of God living inside of us, which when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what you have inside of you, your situations no longer affect you, but by the, the praise that you give God, you're able to affect your circumstances. And it's not something that, you know, you start praising God and say this magic word and all of a sudden your circumstances change. The beautiful part about God is sometimes your circumstances don't change automatically. You still have to look at your circumstances. They're still there. But your, the way you view them begins to change drastically because you know the power of God in your life. When you begin to praise God, it's not something that you do with your body. It's something that you do with your soul. That's the part that God speaks to. That's the part that's going to live with him forever. And that's the part when you connect with him in that way that swells up. And your soul gets a new understanding all over again at just who God is and just how much God loves you. And all of a sudden, your circumstances just don't seem so big anymore. They seem doable. They seem manageable. Uh, it's like playing basketball. When I was a kid, I, I, was, I wasn't that great at it. I loved it a lot. But I, we'd play this one team every single uh, every single week, and they would kick our butts every single week. And I just imagine, what if we had Michael Jordan on our team, man? All of a sudden, this would be doable. Of course, Michael Jordan never came on our team. In fact, uh, I called him several times. He said no. <laughs> Didn't really do that. But we, when we praise God, man, it's, it's something different. It's something different than just looking at our circumstances the same old way. You ever, you ever got to a place where maybe you made some really bad choices and you thought, you know what, I'm just not worthy to praise God. You ever been there? Um, we start ignoring the people that, you know, used to, we used to hang out with that, that are Christians too or that believe kind of that same way, and we kind of start to fall away. Um, let me show you a picture. There's going to be a picture on the screen. I, I, I want you to see this. This is, um, by all practical purposes, a piece of junk. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an old... 1957 Chevy Bel Air. Um, this thing used to have a heyday, wouldn't you say? This thing was a, was a very beautiful car back in the 1950s. It would turn heads. It would cruise. Um, it was styling and profiling. Do you think there's hope for this car? Do you? And I know we're all like, yeah, there's hope for it. I know where you're going with this. I mean, but seriously, when I look at it, I'm like, wow, that thing used to be cool. Now it's a piece of junk. Move on. You probably think so, too. Some of you in here might be into rest restoration. Let me show you another picture of this car. This is what it looks like restored. This is like a completely different car. This is like a completely new car. Now, once again, it used to have the heyday. It went downhill in this thing called life. But all of a sudden, somebody, one person, it always amazes me, when everybody else sees it as junk, it's missing a door, it's, it's missing parts, it needs a whole body restoration. Sometimes they don't even have engines in them. There's always this one person that will walk by and see something of value, see some, I wonder what it would look like if that piece of junk <laughs> was restored to its original condition. I, I wonder what it would be. That one person always sees value 
in that. And, and what I'm here to tell you today is no matter how far we fall away from God, he's that one guy that looks at you and says, I see value there. I, I see something in them because I created them. I know he sees you just as beautiful and just as valuable as the day he thought you in his mind and the day he created you. He sees it. And when everybody else seems to write you off because we, we fall away sometimes and we make decisions, God doesn't want us to do that. And I know we don't want us to do that. But the question I want to ask you is, is the same question that I asked about this car. When you fall away, are you restorable? God's that one person that says yes. And the people around you that say yes are the people that have God inside of them too. It's the same God. He, he, we go from feeling worthless to feeling purposeful. We, we go from being broken, and all of a sudden, I don't know how he does it, but God puts us on a path that we are put together. And I'm not just talking put together and we're functioning. I'm talking about so well put together by the power of God that other people that are broken around us look at us, and we're like encouragement to them on how, just how put together that we, we can be in God. Just like these rusty old cars. They used to have a, a heyday, and there was one person that came by and said, that's, that's it, that's valuable. God is that same way in us. And here's the thing about God's grace. He longs to pour out his grace in such a way. It's one of his favorite things to do in such a way that restores you whenever you fall away from him. Did you know that? We're going to talk today about what it means to be restored by God's grace. And we're going to do that looking through the lens of one of Jesus' disciples named Peter. Say Peter. Peter, Peter that was half of you. Come on, it's about Peter. Say Peter. Peter. Some of you want to say, pick the pipe of pickled peppers. Not the same guy. Peter was a fisherman by trade. He was just a regular old Joe. Uh, he probably believed in God, no doubt. He was a good Jew. Uh, probably wasn't religious by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a hardworking guy. He was a fisherman, and he was out on his boat one day, and Jesus comes by and literally calls him out of his job and says, I want you to follow me. Now, it's interesting because he does it. <laughs> he, just, he just does it. He leaves everything. It's probably weird if you look at it from an outside of the box looking in, uh, but Peter does it. There was something about the call of Jesus. And so he, he, he leaves. He, he leaves his family business. He leaves uh, his life. He leaves any family he has for the time. And for three years, he follows Jesus. He goes around and he follows him. He, he goes where Jesus goes. He camps out where Jesus camps out. He eats what Jesus eats. He serves where Jesus serves. He hangs around the people that Jesus hangs around with. He abandons his life and he follows. Now, Jesus didn't promise fame. He didn't promise riches. In fact, he promised the opposite. But there was something about the call of Jesus. And, and I can just imagine him being there and thinking, there's, there's something different about this guy. He, he's not the same as the other religious leaders. There, there's something about him that's, that's alluring to me, not just in my flesh, but in, down deep inside of me. I, I couldn't tell you what it is. I don't have all the answers. And maybe it was like that for you when you gave your heart and life to Jesus. And you said, you know what? I'm done with this life. I, I, I want to follow the one that loved me and saved me. I, I, I can't tell you all the answers. I don't know how it's all going to end up in this life, but I can tell you one thing. There's something about this man named Jesus that I can't necessarily put my mind around, but my heart is completely following after him. I've got to go with Jesus. And he had a similar experience to this. Peter did. And so he goes for three years, and he learns from Jesus. He, he learns what it is to humble himself and serve other people. And Jesus did some pretty weird stuff in their eyes, in the disciples' eyes. They, he, sometimes they didn't know what he was doing. Sometimes he would explain things, and they still didn't get it. 
And Jesus, was, Jesus would be like, you know, how, you know, how, how simple-minded are you? Do, do you still asking questions about this? And there's this back and forth for three years. And, and he's learning all along the way. Ultimately, uh, Peter learned what it means to know Jesus. Not just to know about him, but to, to really know him, to grab his heart, to love him, and to be able to identify with him. This was Peter. And it's interesting, Peter, if you remember the story, he was the disciple that actually got out of a boat. I mean, took a, during a storm, put his foot out of the boat and walked on water, took a few steps on water, let go of the boat, <laughs> just because Jesus said he could. What kind of faith and love does it take in a relationship with somebody to you get, that you get to the point where you say, I'm, I'm going to walk on water because you say I can, in the middle of a storm? He didn't walk because he thought it was cool. He walked because Jesus said he could do it. Now, how, how close do you have to be in a relationship to do that? Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible to fall away from a relationship like that? To be that close to somebody and then, and then fall away? Can we talk about that for a few minutes today? What does it mean to fall away from God? Why do we do it? Uh, I want to talk about four traps. Everybody say four. Four traps that we're going to talk about that, that Peter fell into that caused him to fall away from this beautiful relationship that he had with Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can actually fall into these two. And as we walk through them, you're going to see a digression, kind of like a domino effect. You fall into one, and then all of a sudden, you find yourself susceptible to falling into the next, and then falling into the next one. And if we're not careful, it's this, like, this downward spiral uh, that takes place in our lives. All right, so here we go. We're going to fast forward in the story and Jesus is with his disciples. He's actually uh, getting ready to be arrested. This is that same night. And he's with his disciples, and he's doing this thing that we know as the Last Supper. Uh, and he's with them. And, and this is what Jesus says to them. He knows he's getting ready to be killed. But he looks at his disciples and says, listen, before the night's over, every one of you are going to stumble in your faith. And this is where Peter falls into the first trap. We read uh, in, in Mark chapter 14, he says this. He said, everybody else may stumble in their faith. He says, but I will not. I will not. There, there's one problem with that sentence. Do you know what it is? The one word in there? I. And that first trap he fell into was conceit. It, it was, I can do this. This is, this is what I can do, God. And, and, and it's interesting because whenever you look at somebody else and you see them stumble and you say, that's never going to happen to me, that's right before you fall. If, that's where you get in trouble. And this is what Peter did. He said, I can do it in my own strength. Solomon, 2,000 years before this time, he wrote this. He said, uh, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, that arrogant spirit about us, it goes before a fall. We can't do anything without God. You need to understand that. Anything that you try to do that looks like something good is all because of God. You and your own strength will fail every time, eventually, because you have something called a willpower and a strength inside of you humanly is limited. And eventually you'll fall. And what's interesting about this is when Peter said this, it didn't really look like pride from the outside looking in. He was saying, I, I want to follow you. I, I'm, I'm not going to leave you, God. But the problem is, is he said, I can do it myself. And he left God's power out of it. At the heart of conceit, that first trap that we can so easily fall into, is self. It's me. Even when we think we're trying to do something good, even when we're trying to do something within the realm of a Christian life, and we, we want to walk forward in it, if we don't rely on God's strength every single day and declare our dependency on Him, then we are susceptible to falling into the trap of conceit. Because when it becomes about your ability, it stops becoming about God's ability. And whenever we're walking by ourselves, our strength will eventually run out. You need to understand that. 
Rick Warren is a pastor on the West Coast. He said this, any human being is capable of any sin given the right set of circumstances. Any human being, you, me, we're all capable of any kind of sin there is given the right set of circumstances. And that's why some of the godliest people that I know, they live with boundaries in their life that they put up. It's like safeguards that they put up. I'll I'll give you an example. There are some men uh, that I know that are extremely godly men and some women, extremely godly women. They will never, ever, ever ride in a car alone with somebody of the opposite sex that's not their immediate family. They won't do it. It might seem weird. I mean, things might just be mundane and casual and whatever. They won't do it. It's a safeguard they put in their life. And it's not because they walk around just so tempted they just can't stand it. They walk around saying, I'm not going to give Satan a foothold in my life to be able to tempt me in such a way that I can can fall into a trap. And so they say, I know I can't do it by myself. I know it's God's strength in me. I'm not going to give Satan the opportunity to tempt me. And so they don't. They know that to overcome the trap of conceit, they have to rely on God's power, not their own. And so we need to take consideration of that. Uh, these people listen to the Bible. Uh, when it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they said, don't be so naive. Don't be so self-confident. You're, you're not exempt. You just hear the tone that Paul's writing. He said, you could fall flat on your face as easily as anybody else. So forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Start cultivating God confidence. Peter made this bold statement. Maybe he thought he was doing good. I don't know but he left God's ability out of it. He said, they might stumble, but I, me, I'm never going to. I never will. And without even realizing it, he began the start of this downward spiral. Beware of the trap of conceit. That's the first trap. Later that night, we find Jesus and his disciples there in the garden, and, and Jesus is praying. He's in agony over what's getting ready to happen to him. And Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him. He said, stay up with me and, and, and pray. But he turns, and remember what his disciples were doing? This had to be so disheartening. They're sleeping. Maybe they're tired. I don't know, but Jesus asked them to pray. Peter got careless, and that was the second trap he fell into, second trap we can easily fall into, carelessness. Mark chapter 14 records Jesus' response to them. He said, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? I, I asked you to stay awake. I asked you to, to pray with me. Peter gets careless and chooses sleep. Did you know that that once you've decided that you're strong enough to do this thing called Christianity in your own power, you will start neglecting the things that you used to do to keep Jesus close? All all of a sudden, we start saying things like, well, you know, it really, it doesn't matter if I didn't have quiet time today with God. I'm busy. God understands. Certainly, he's not going to send me to hell because I didn't have quiet time with him. Or, or, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal that I didn't read my Bible today. I mean, come on, I don't understand half of it anyway. I do it because, but it's not that big of a deal. I mean, for crying out loud, my life's not in crisis right now. And maybe we don't say these things out loud, but boy, do we sure think them. Or maybe it's okay that I'm late for church service. Uh, or maybe I don't go at all this week. God understands. Pastor Ryan, he seems like a great guy. He understands. Emphasis on the great guy part. <laughs> Just kidding. Because I don't want to be conceited. <laughs> And get careless, right? Some of you just got that. It's going to hit the back wall and bounce and hit you in the back of the head. I I don't want to be legalistic about reading the Bible or about coming to church services or anything like that. But what I am telling you is that when, when we get this I've got it attitude, it's really just okay. I can do this in my own power. We will drift into carelessness. And the things that we used to do to keep the relationship with Jesus fresh, we'll start neglecting because we don't feel like it's that needed in our lives. We'll get careless. That's why Jesus told him that night in Matthew 26. He said, 
Watch and pray. <laughs> don't, be well, don't be careless. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And it's the same for us. We'll, we'll get that moment in life where we get kind of that conceited heart. We don't call it that, but that's really what it is. I, I can do it in my own strength. And then it drifts into carelessness, and we, we kind of stop doing and neglecting the things that we used to do to keep our relationship with God fresh. And then he eventually spirals down to the third trap. That's cowardice. Cowardice. He's, we, we start becoming ashamed of the things that we used to be proud of. That's what happened to Peter later that night. Remember, Judas betrays Jesus, and the, the group of mob come and take Jesus away. Remember that? Disciples did exactly what Jesus predicted. Every one of them scatter, except for Peter. This is what he does in Mark chapter 14. First part of verse 54, it says, Peter followed at a distance. He followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. He didn't want to get too far away from Jesus, but he didn't want to be identified with him either. He was freaked out. He was scared. And so he follows him at a distance. Have you ever found yourself following God at a distance? Kind of being scared, maybe because of fear. Maybe you're ashamed to take a stance on a biblical issue. I'm not saying be some fanatic and go out and protest, and that's, I'm not saying that. But when, when, the, when push comes to shove and somebody asks you about your faith or there's a conversation that you're a part of, do you, do you stand up for what you believe in? Not to push it down somebody's throat or, or be rude. God never gives us a, 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 an excuse to be rude for the sake of his word. You understand that, right? It's his, the word says it's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance, and he expects his kids to be the same way. But have you ever found yourself kind of keeping God at a distance because you were ashamed to stand up for his word and what you believe. Maybe when the conversation gets difficult. Maybe have you ever been ashamed to pray in public? Maybe you're at a restaurant and you pray, and we do that at home. We can thank God and sing songs to him at home, but when we're in public, let's just try to keep it down a little bit. I remember when I was in school, uh, especially in elementary school, really that's the only place I did this, Every day before lunch, I had to tie my shoes because no one could see me praying under the table. <laughs> you know what I mean? I must have tied my shoes every day that year. You ever feel like that as an adult? I'm just kind of, it's kind of just that God sees our hearts, but I just really don't want to say this out loud in front of everybody. Maybe you don't want your coworker to see your Bible, or you don't want anybody to kind of know in the other circles that you live in that you're a Christian. Because I get it. Look, I'm not saying that I, I blame you necessarily from a fleshly standpoint because Christianity, I believe, is under attack uh, in this world. Um, Christians are looked at as fanatics. Uh, pastors are looked at as con artists. Um, churches are looked at as hypocrites. And so it's, it's easy to get scared, but that doesn't make it, uh, what Jesus said in Mark 8, it doesn't make it any less true. When he said this, he says, if anybody is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, then the Son of Man, which is Jesus, will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And I just got to say, I would much rather you be offended at something I say than stand before God and him be offended at something I didn't. That doesn't give me any right to be rude to you. It doesn't give me any right to be, I, I need to share the love of Jesus Christ. The word says, speak the truth and do it in love because love without truth is not a virtue worth having. I added that last part, but it's true. And so I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. I want to stand up for him. But if we're not careful, we, we will fall into this trap of cowardice. And it doesn't come right away. It's like a slow fade. First we get a little bit like, I, I can do this by myself. Then all of a sudden we're getting careless with the disciplines in our lives that kept us close to Jesus to start with. 
And before long, we're, we're ashamed to kind of have these conversations with people. Maybe not right away, but it happens. If you find yourself moving towards that, don't ignore it. Don't, don't ignore it if you find yourself thinking, I, I can do this by myself, because it's likely going to lead to carelessness then, and then cowardice. Then if you go there, it's not long before you easily drift into the fourth trap, and that's compromise. We'll begin compromising the things that we once held true in our lives. Peter followed at a distance for a while, and then all of a sudden they stopped, and he stopped with them, <laughs> and he joined them. Listen to what Mark 14 says. He says, there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. He's sitting with the guards. Now, this is amazing to me because here's Peter. He's one of the, three, of the 12 disciples, and then within that circle of 12, he's one of the three disciples that was the closest to Jesus. This was the guy that said, I'm never going to leave you, and all of a sudden now he's hanging out and warming himself by the fire of the executioners that are getting ready at some point to, 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 uh, to kill Jesus. He's sitting there like he's one of them. And I just got to ask, how in the world did he go from Jesus, I am your right-hand man, to this? Do you think he meant to do that? Do you think he meant to fall away from God that far? Do you think he, he meant for the relationship that he had with Jesus to fall away that far? Listen, we all have needs just like Peter had needs, social needs, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and, and we're going to get them met somewhere. And if we choose not to get them met in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're going to have them met by something else. You will. Peter did. You won't mean to. You won't plan for it to happen. It, it's, it's, it's amazing how we wake up one day and we say, how in the world did I get here? The same thing happened to Peter. But if you ignore those warning signs, when the, when the conceit happens, and I know that's a strong word. I'm using it today so that you'll really grab onto it because that's really what it is. And, and you ignore that and we get into carelessness. And, and then all of a sudden before long, we're, we're acting like cowards, spiritual cowards. And that's strong too. And I'm sorry, I'm putting myself in the same boat. Next thing you know, we start compromising. And we wake up one day and we ask the same question Peter did. How, how did I get here? And so he's around this fire. He's identifying with them. And they start asking him questions. They, they start to kind of recognize him a little bit. And they start to say, hey, hey, don't, don't we know you? Don't, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, he spits it out before he even thinks. He's compromising. He's put himself in a compromising situation. And then somebody else, hey, you were with Jesus. Didn't, weren't, weren't you with him? No, I don't know what you're talking about. They ask him again. And finally, in Mark chapter 14, it says, Peter began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. I don't know him. Something as seemingly innocent as conceit led him down this bad path, and he fell away from God. Before he realized that he had spiraled to denying that he even knew who Jesus was. And it was right then that Peter, his eyes were, were open, and he realized just how far he'd fallen away. And verse 72 says, as soon as he said that, immediately he broke down and he wept. Listen, I, I don't think anybody means to fall that far. I, nobody means to do that. Listen, Peter, he, he, he was the guy who, who prided himself in his relationship with Jesus. He's the one that left everything, left the business, left, his, left everything to follow him because there was just something about him. I ha he left everything to follow him. He was the guy that swore, Jesus, I'll never leave you. Everybody else might fall away, but I will never, I will never leave you. And now he's, he's standing there, and the relationship that he had with Jesus, is the, the joy of it is now broken. And the only thing that's left is, is this regret and this brokenness 
that he has. Nobody means to do that. And they're all over this room, myself included. We all fall into some of these traps, don't we? And and if we do, can you just look to somebody and say, welcome to the human race? (laughs) I mean, this is us. This is humanity. This is the brokenness that we have. And and in some weird way, I'm kind of grateful that one of Jesus' disciples just fell into all four of them, (laughs) you know? It makes me feel a little bit better. But really, the the question is, is not how many traps have you fallen in and how many have I fallen in and let's just gang up on Peter because he fell into all four. That's really not the question because I think we've all fallen away. Some of us have fallen away a little. Some of us have a lot. It's all deserving of hell. It doesn't really matter. The question is not have we fallen away. Really, the question is, is how does Jesus respond whenever we fall away? How does Jesus respond whenever we once had a heyday in him and we once were close to him, but we fall away in life and, and we, all of a sudden what was awesome looks like that junked up car, we, the picture we saw in the beginning with the headlights missing and the rust and the, and the engine completely gone, useless. What does Jesus do whenever we end up like that? I want to fast forward a little bit in the story. Jesus has been crucified. He's in the tomb. We know he doesn't stay there, thank God, right? He, he rises again. And Peter, in the meantime, has gone back to his old job. Not only has he fallen away from Jesus, but he fell away from the ministry. He goes back fishing, and he's on this boat, and some of the other disciples, they're there with him. Um, and that's when Jesus shows up on the shore. And they don't know it's him at first. It's interesting. Um, but the question is, is, what does Jesus do? What does he say to Peter after all of this? What does he say to you when you fall away? Well, I, I could tell you exactly what Jesus said to Peter, but I would rather show you. So watch this. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us. It's his crazy love. And sometimes we struggle to understand grace. But don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples had trouble understanding grace. Jesus, Jesus, I cannot believe it's you. You're here, you're alive. This is so great. Okay, listen, I was in the boat, and I was not catching any fish. And I heard a voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish. And so I throw that net over, and boom, a gaggle of fish just pop into the net. And I'm thinking, this is a miracle. Who could have done this? I need to know who told me to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And I look over, and there you are on the shore saying, it is I, the Lord. And you're here. This is so great. Andrew, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And I'm sorry about that rooster clucking three times. I had no idea what it meant, but I do now, and I'm better for it. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words could not describe the passion I have for you. I love you. You know that. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That's just like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. (laughs) Peter, do you remember the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, and we were trying to figure all that out, and um, we're trying to figure all that out. And Mary comes running in, and she's saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. You know, keep them away. (laughs) But as she got closer, I realized what she was saying. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive? And she said she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go to the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen, and he is alive. So me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, or I'd have beat him. FYI. 
So we get down there, and it is empty. There is nothing in there. And, like, I'm thinking, like, what does this mean? And John, he's so good with words. He should write a book. He says, Peter, this is everything Jesus said he was going to do. And, and you did it. You're alive. The angel said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. He said what? Go tell the disciples and... Go to the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? That's grace, Peter. No, no, because the night you got crucified, people kept coming up to me and asking me if I was with you and if I belonged to you. And I was denying them left and right. It will take my whole life to make up for what I did. What I did was unforgivable. No, no, no. What I did on the cross was to take what was unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. What an interaction that was. Peter fell away from Jesus so far, and yet God manifested completely in Jesus Christ. The risen Savior looks at him, and he doesn't focus on him falling away. He doesn't focus on the traps he falls into. He just focuses on his grace and says, if you're willing to accept my grace, I extend it to you freely. You have to know what happens after this this little moment here. Peter goes on. And he becomes one of the major voices that God uses to start the early church. In fact, he becomes kind of the lead pastor, if you will, for for Jerusalem, the church there, thousands of people. Peter becomes a major voice that we still look to today in the scriptures when it comes to values in Christianity and teachings that we walk around today as Christians and try to hold to. He used Peter, the guy that that fell into every single trap, (laughs) the guy that fell away from grace. What does Jesus do? How does he respond whenever we fall away? He just extends his grace. And I don't know where you are today. I I don't know how far you've fallen away, but I just have to let you know today. He longs to pull you in. He longs to restore you. That's his goal. But if I'm just going to be honest with you, you have to know there's literally two outcomes. You, You can choose grace as Peter did. God used him in an awesome way. But there was another person that betrayed Jesus that night too. You remember who that was? It was Judas. Betrayed, betrayed Jesus. In fact, Matthew 27 records this. It says, Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. Remember, he got some money for betraying Jesus. They bribed him. They, and, and he throws it back in there. He's, he goes, he go, goes away. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And he was so filled with grief so filled with condemnation. It says the Bible, in the Bible, he hung himself. Life over. Being used by God on this planet, over. Both fell from Jesus. Same brokenness, same sorrow. But yet one chose grace and was restored and God used him. The other chose guilt and condemnation and decided that life wasn't worth living. Completely missed the grace some of you may be thinking today, well, that's, that's probably the road I'm heading on because the things that I've done, the things that I've, I've, I've thought, the, things, the choices that I've made, there's no way that God can forgive me for what I did. And we all think that sometimes. And I'm here to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's not preacher jargon. It's not something I say just to get you to cheer. If it was just me and you talking right now, I want you to hear me say this. God is deeply in love with you and longs to restore you. When you fall away from him, it saddens him and he goes after you with conviction 
And that conviction that you feel, sometimes we can mistake it for condemnation, but that conviction says, I, I want to point you to a solution. Something's not right in your heart, and you know it, and we feel it, and it's heavy, but it's Jesus saying, I'm calling you to me. Make the decision to come to me. Make the decision to receive my grace. And, and you're thinking, well, how in the world do I do that? And I'm so glad you asked. There's this book in the Bible called Revelation. Most of us have heard of it. And Jesus, he's actually talking to this church in Laodicea. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, this is what he says. He says, when you fall away, he said this, consider, consider how far that you've fallen. Repent. And then he says, do the things you did at first. And that's really the, the three steps that we take whenever we're coming back to Jesus and, and, and falling into his grace and him restoring us. Consider, repent, and do the things you did at first. Well, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Look, you have to consider what you've done. Most of us, we just run from what we've done. We don't want to think about it. We, won't, we don't want to deal with it. But when we think about it enough and when we sit in it long enough, that's the place that we know we can't save ourselves. That's the place we get to when we say, I, I need something to help me. And if we spend our whole lives ignoring it or running away from it or trying not to deal with it and avoiding people and things and thoughts, then we never get to that place where we understand that we can't do it ourselves. So he says, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about that place where you got conceited and said you could do it your own way. I want you to think about that second trap, you know, when you got careless and started, started just being careless about your actions and, qu and quit doing the things that I asked you to do to stay close to me. I want you to think about those times where you were ashamed of me and you didn't stand up for me. And I want you to think about those times that you compromised your own life and compromised our relationship and went into some pretty compromising situations. He's saying, I don't want you to stay there long, but I do want you to think about it. I do want you to consider because it's in that place that you can repent. <laughs> and repentance isn't just some weird Bible word. Repentance literally means to change the way you think. He promises to help you. He actually talks about a renewing of your mind that he can help you do. Change the way you think about those. Change the way you think and actually turn, repent. And then he says this, and I love this. He said, do the things you did at first. And if you think about that, think, think about when you first get married. Maybe it looks drastically different than it looks now. I, I don't know. I know there's some newlyweds here in the congregation. I know there's actually some that are getting ready to be married. I want you to think about what you did at first when you got married. You talked all the time. You would drive any distance to see them. You, you gave each other gifts. You did some pretty sappy stuff, right? Remember when you first had a baby? Remember when that baby first came and all of a sudden you, you just, it, everything lived and, and breathed around that baby. It was like, oh my gosh, we ooh and ah over this baby. We're going to buy the baby toys and clothes that the baby doesn't need and it can't read that says, you know, this is the best, I have the best aunt in the world or the best grandpa. But we're going to do it anyway because we got to make sure that baby has all the greatest stuff and we take pictures of the baby and everything is about the baby. Remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? You couldn't wait to be at church with people that believed like you and couldn't wait to worship and you couldn't wait to open the Bible and read it because it was like a, a letter from, from a long lost love. I mean, you just, you wanted to dig in. You couldn't wait to open it. You couldn't wait to see what, what it was God was gonna speak to you. He had saved you from your sin. He had saved your soul. And there was this gratitude, man, that we had in our lives. And maybe you're here today saying, I, I wanna get back to that. I want to get back to that, that first love. I, I want to get back to the way that I used to do things whenever it first happened. I want you to know something. Jesus wants you to, too. He said, consider that I want you to repent. He said, now I'm very excited about you getting back to the way it used to be between us. 
And he wants to walk with you. He wants to do it with you. Listen, God, he, he says in the word, you don't have to fall. You don't have to. But if you do, he is more than willing to restore you. He is more than able to restore you. He is head over heels in love with the idea of taking you from where you were and bringing you back close to him. And not just that, but putting you so back together that you are filled with life and filled with purpose. So much so that everyone else looks at you and says, you know what, I, I want to be like that. Take a guy like Peter who, who fell <laughs> so far away and yet became one of the greatest tools that God ever used to reach billions and billions and billions of people all the way down to you and I today. That's God's grace. And if you're still here thinking, I, I'm not sure, I want to close with this scripture. It's from Isaiah. It's a book in the Old Testament, but this is God talking. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, no matter how deep the stain of your sin, I can take it out and I can make you clean as freshly fallen snow. And if you're thinking, well, he doesn't know what I did or, or this mine is different. Listen, even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. <laughs> he said, I don't, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. Where sin abounds, the Bible says grace is even greater than that. He didn't name a particular sin. He was talking about the sin nature about you. Where sin is there, his grace is greater. He can restore you. And then he says, for those of you thinking that, you know, you, it's, yours is just too deep. Even if you fall into the place that you don't think anybody else can rescue you, even there, I'm, I'm there with you. Even there, I'm capable. Even there, my hand reaches down to restore you. And I don't know about you, but I just got to say, God loves me and he loves you to the point that he is willing not just to say these things, but he's willing to put his very life on the line to prove it to you. He became a human being and, and just died for you. He's the only person to ever do that for you. And then live to tell about it. <laughs> Can we pray together? Uh, some of our prayer team is going to be up here at the front. And anytime during this prayer, if you want someone to pray with you, I, I just want you to know that we're here for you. We want to offer that to you to help pray. Let's just close our eyes. God, all over this room, Lord, you see people that uh, have are close to you, God, and you see other of those that have gotten stagnant, Lord, and others of us that are just falling away. Lord, every single one of us in this room are human beings. None of us are better than the other. The only thing that makes us good at all is you, Jesus Christ, who died for us and loves us. And church all over this room, I, I just wonder if you'd be willing to say yes to his grace. Yes to restoration today. Those of you who have fallen into some of these traps and and you're just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm recognizing myself that I've fallen into a little bit of conceit. I've kind of gotten just lazy with, with my relationship with Jesus. And I've started to believe, no matter how faint, that I can do it myself. That somehow being a Christian is doable for me. And in doing so, we've gotten a little careless with our with our relationship with him, our disciplines. Some of us have, have fallen into some cowardice when we're we're just walking around. We want to look nice in church, but boy, are we ashamed to talk about it to our friends. Boy, are we ashamed to talk about it when the hot, hot topics come up. And some of us, I would dare even say, have compromised our very relationship with Christ. All of us have been in every one of those traps at one time or another. And God's calling you today with his grace. He's not calling out the traps to push them in your face, but he's calling out the grace. He's calling to you with grace, and he's saying, reach for it. Say yes to me. 
Some of you are scared right now that you're going to end up falling into some of those same traps because when I said that, you already know some of the things you struggle with. And, and maybe you're thinking, Pastor Ryan, there's no way I'm going to walk out of this room and, and stay clean. I, I, I'm probably going to fall into something again, and just so I don't look like a hypocrite, I'm going to pass for now. Let me tell you something. God knows that situation already. The Word says that He died for all your future sins, and you may ask, how in the world did He do that? Listen, 2,000 years ago when He died, all your sins were in the future, every one of them. He's completely capable. That's part of his sovereignty. He knows you. He knows what you're going to face tomorrow. He knows the thoughts that are going through your mind. He knows the things that you think, I'll never be able to overcome. And what he's saying right now is, you don't have to know how. I just want you to say yes to me and watch me move in your life. All over this room, I, I just wonder if there are some people that are bold enough, tired enough, weary enough <laughs> to say yes to Jesus Christ and let him start you on that path that leads you out to restoration. God, I know you paid a heavy price to restore us. I pray that the hearts in this room right now just are completely pliable and open to you. Don't let us leave without saying yes. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Can we say amen to that together? Amen. Our prayer team is going to be up here for a few more minutes if you desire prayer. Listen, if you said yes to Jesus, if you made some type of decision today, I want you just to check that on your Connect card. Just say, I, I prayed to receive Christ today. It's not because we just want to gather information. It's because we want to celebrate that with you. We want to know. And we also want to reach out to you and help give you some next steps. It's very practical. Um, if you have any prayer requests, sometimes when we do messages like this, there's, there's some things that we just want people to pray for. And maybe we don't want to walk up to the front, but we do feel comfortable writing them on a, on a Connect card. I want you to know that we will pray for you. You don't even have to necessarily put your name on there. If it's just a prayer request, we'd like for you to because we'll pray for you by name. But if, if that's you and you have a prayer request, we want you to be comfortable putting that on and know that we are actually going to pray for you. We do, every single one. I love y'all so much. If you're here for the first time, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I'm gonna be out in the lobby to say hey to you as you walk by. Love to, love to shake your hand and put a face with a name. I love you guys so much. I hope this has encouraged you today. I want you to have a great Sunday afternoon and a great week coming up. See you next time.